Hello everyone, welcome to Hometown Horrors. I am the creator and host, Leanne. Hope everyone is doing well out there. It has been a while since I posted a episode. I had to have some surgeries and recovery. I've also been trying to kind of restructure the podcast and blog. Um, we're going to have some new artwork and I'm trying to figure out the best way to reach more people to get more attention to these cases because I do try to do um, mostly unknown cases. I don't get a lot of mainstream media attention. Um, sometimes I'll throw, you know, a serial killer case or something like that in there. Um, but mostly it is the lesser known cases. That way we're bringing attention to that and it's getting some exposure. So if you have any ideas that you want to share about how to get that exposure to these cases, please let me know. Um, you can get in touch with me. My email is hometownhorrorstn at gmail. Um, the socials are hometownhorrors uh, on Instagram, hometownhorrorstn on Twitter. For now, I'm not sure how much longer I'm going to be on Twitter. I might switch to, um, I think it's called Threads. But um, I, I'm not a big fan of who currently owns Twitter and the changes that are being made. So I'm not sure how much longer I'm going to be on there. Uh, if I change that, I will let you all know where you can find me after that. So today we are going to talk about um, a case that has gotten some attention in the mainstream media. Not a whole lot. Um, I heard about it on um, another podcast, Morbid, which is one of my favorite podcasts. I love those ladies. Um, there's also a really good podcast episode on Generation Y, and we're going to be talking about the suspicious death of Tamala Horsford. Um, like I said, I'm not sure if anybody's familiar with that. It's been in the media a little bit. Um, Tamala's death took place in Forsyth County, Georgia. Um, I'm from Tennessee. I lived in Georgia for a little bit. I visit Georgia a lot. Um, it's similar to Tennessee as far as there are still pockets of racism throughout the, the state. Um, which I, I know you get that everywhere, but it's pretty, pretty prevalent here in the South. Um, and I'm just going to give you a little background information on Forsyth County and some of their racist history. So just bear with me a little bit to get this history and it applies to Tamala's case. It kind of shows you that not a lot of things have changed in, you know, in the last hundred years or whatever. Um, you still got good old boy justice and and all that good stuff that happens um, when you have police departments and local government that it's, you know, generations of people um, have always been in those positions and everybody knows everybody and everybody's related to everybody. So it's hard to get a fair trial and a fair look at cases um, especially when race is involved. So let me just give you a little bit of history. Um, 
little history lesson here. In 1912, there were two alleged incidents that occurred in Forsyth County um, that caused a white mob to drive out the very small black population that was there. The first alleged incident was the rape of a white woman by a black man. The second alleged incident was the beating and rape of a young white woman who died from her injuries. A lynch mob attacked and hanged one black suspect and two teenagers were hanged in public executions following a short trial. There's not a whole lot of information about the trials and stuff, but I'm, I'm pretty sure they were not fair considering the time and, um, you know, they believed what they wanted to believe and they carried out so-called justice the way they thought it should have been handled. So from 1963 to 1975, there was a GBI agent that is the uh, Georgia Bureau of Investigation. His name was Bert Fry, and he was assigned to Forsyth County. He stated that people would sit in the front row of the courthouse and stare at witnesses and jurors to intimidate them. Sometimes they would get calls that their houses were had been burned down, things like that. Um, if you if you were on the jury and you didn't come to a verdict that was in their best interest, like law enforcement's best interest or the defendant's best interest or whatever, um, they would sit there and try to intimidate you and bully you. And if that didn't work, then they burned down your house. In 1968, 10 black boys and their counselors were on a camping trip from Atlanta to Lake Lanier, and they were told to leave or be carried out feet first. Another incident in 1976, 1976, that's not that long ago, um, a cross was burned at a marina after a boat slip was rented to a black man. 1980, a black firefighter from Atlanta and his date attended a company picnic at Athens Park on Lake Lanier, um, and he was shot and wounded. One of the two men convicted in that shooting was a man named Melvin Crow, who claimed to be related to May Crow, who was one of the allegedly murdered people in 1912 by a black man. So that was generational hate. Um, he thought he was getting revenge for his long dead relative. Uh, let's see, a, another incident in 1987, Forsyth County, actually this is not an incident, I apologize. In January 1987, Forsyth County became the scene of the largest civil rights demonstration since the 1960s. And attendance at that demonstration was John Lewis, Andrew Young, Coretta Scott King, and Joseph Lowry. 5,000 counter-demonstrators were also in attendance. And this became the most significant public resistance to civil rights since the 60s. 
1987, they were also doing, um, a reporter was doing an, uh, an article for a magazine, and he asked a man why he had a Confederate flag draped on his front door. And the man said that it was not about the, a word I will not say because it's a racial slur, it was about he has always just locked the flag. Um, this man also went on to explain that he just wants to keep Forsyth County like it has always been white. He goes on to tell that reporter that he wants to keep it white for the children. He does not want his son to go to school with black children. Another man interviewed said he was teaching his son to fear black men, not to hate because that's not nice, but he needed to fear them. So this just kind of gives you um, a little background. It's gotten a little bit better, but there's still those pockets of families and people who act like this. Um, one of the big rules that still apply in Forsyth County is the quote, mind your own business. Um, in the article that I read, it said that this allows the county to enjoy its reputation of lawlessness, um, which means people get away with everything and <laughs> you're going to, you're going to see that in this, unfortunately. Um, those were just examples to kind of give you a history of this county, of how things are run around there, and that things have not changed. Um, hopefully, this will help you kind of understand the m just gross mishandling of Tamala's death. So, let's get into talking about Tamala and what happened. Tamala Horsford was born on October 10th, 1978 in St. Vincent and the Grenadines, I'm sorry. She lived there until her family moved to the U.S. in 1989. She met and married a man named Leander um, in Florida, and they had five sons. Leander had a daughter from a previous relationship, and Tamala treated her just like her own. They moved to Forsyth County, Georgia, because of Leander's job. Their boys played sports. Tamala made friends easily. Everybody said she was friendly and laughed all the time. And so it was really easy for her to make friends. She met Jean Myers and some of the other football moms through the local youth football league. Tamala received an evite to Jean's birthday party a sleepover because they knew they'd be drinking and they didn't want anyone trying to drive. So if you're familiar with this case, you know, this is Tamala was the only black woman at an all white female sleepover and something tragic happened. And we really unfortunately don't have a whole lot of answers. There's a lot of theories and, and things like that. Um, you, if you follow true crime, you've probably seen the picture floating around on the internet. Um, I think Dateline may have covered it also. Um, so let's talk some more about Tamala. She, actually, I'm sorry. The following is a summary 
of what happened at the party. After this summary will be descriptions of what the party attendees said during interviews with the GBI. So first up is a summary. Um, Jean's party was on November the 3rd, 2018. Tamala arrived around 8.30 p.m. She arrived late because she wanted to ensure that her husband and their boys had everything they needed for the night in the next morning. She made them dinner, had a breakfast casserole ready for the following morning. I'm just making sure, you know, all everybody was taken care of and Leander wouldn't have to do a, a lot of extra stuff. And just, she seemed so caring and on top of things and, you know, making sure everybody was taken care of. Tamala arrived at the party with a bottle of tequila and an overnight bag. She changed into her pajamas, which was a white onesie covered in paw prints. The bottle of tequila that she brought was from Mexico, and it was supposed to be a gift for Jean. However, um, Jean said she did not like tequila and told Tamala to keep it. This tequila will be what Tamala will be drinking throughout the night. I thought that was rude. Um, I was always taught when somebody brought you a gift, you smiled and you said thank you and you took it. If it wasn't something you drank or something you used, you know, you put it to the side. And But it was the thought that count and you were polite. You didn't tell somebody that you don't drink it, you don't like it, and for her to keep it. That's just rude. Sorry, a little side note, a little vent about one of my little pet peeves. <laughs> it was just rude. Um, the women ate, drank, socialized, and watched the LSU versus Alabama football game um, on the second level of the house. Jean's house had three levels. The basement level was kind of like an apartment. Um, then you had the main level of the house where like the living room and kitchen and all that stuff was on. And then the top level where the bedrooms were. Um LSU versus Alabama is always a big game if you follow um, football, especially SEC football or whatever division they're in. But um, we're big Tennessee ball fans here, but we know that LSU and Alabama is a big game. And I think Jean was a big LSU fan. Um, the party was supposed to be for women only, but Jean's boyfriend, Jose Barrera, was not feeling well, and he decided to stay. Jose and a man named Tom Smith, who was, um, who's the husband of one of the other moms, Stacy Smith, uh, decided to stay and watch football in the basement. Tamala was said to be the only smoker in the group and would go outside regularly to smoke. I've also found that they said that she was more of a social smoker. She didn't. The only time they've seen her smoking was at parties. Um, it is also reported that Tamala was smoking marijuana. A statement was later given by Jean saying she teased Tamala, calling her, quote, the female Bob Marley. Jean also reminded Tamala that her boyfriend, Jose, worked as a pre-trial officer and did not approve of her smoking pot around him. Pre-trial officer, um, it's it, something through the Forsyth County 
sheriff's office. Um, I think it has to do with parolees or something. But he was employed through the sheriff's office. Later, the men joined the group and they all played Cards Against Humanity. Photos and videos were taken and Tamala was smiling and she looked like she was having a really good time. She was laughing. According to everyone at the party, Tamala did not appear drunk. In the videos, she didn't appear drunk. Um, they say that she wasn't slurring her words or stumbling around. Guests who were not spending the night, just um, they started leaving around 11.30 p.m. And others started going to bed over the next few hours. According to police interviews, Tamala stayed awake after Jean and Jose went to bed around 1.30. The last person to see Tamala alive was Bridget Fuller, who was picked up by her husband around 1.47 a.m. Bridget said in her statement that Tamala was eating a bowl of gumbo, and she said she had planned to go smoke and then go on to bed. Okay, now I have a timeline. Um, the sources for all this are in the blog post. There'll be a, a link in the show notes. Sorry, my brain kind of froze there for a minute. Um, but this timeline, it's just a rough timeline. And I'll get more details during everyone's interviews. Um these times were provided by a security app that Jean Myers had on her phone, which recorded every time the doors on the house were open and closed. So at 10.30 p.m., Nicole Lawson and Sarah Cock Cockerham uh, leave. The group plays Cards Against Humanity, included are Jose Barrera and Thomas Smith. 12.34 a.m. Tamala FaceTimes her husband and kids. Some reports state Nicole Lawson was present for that uh, FaceTime, even though it was also reported that she had left the party earlier. So there's a little bit of confusion there. 1 a.m. People began cleaning up and going to bed. According to Jean, uh, Tamala was very social and wanted everyone to stay up late. Tamala was excited to be out and having some girl time. And this is the last time anyone seen Tamala alive. You know, she was excited. She didn't get to go out very much with, you know, having all those sons. Um, she was very busy. So when she got to actually get out and have a good time, she wanted to take advantage of every minute. As a mom, I completely get that. When you get a chance to go out, you, you don't want it to end because you never know when the next time you're going to get a break is. Um, at 1.45 a.m., according to Jean, Tamala said she was going outside to smoke. 1.47 a.m., Bridget Fuller leaves. Bridget sees Tamala downstairs and she's alone. Then, according to the app, 1.49 a.m., a door is opened. 1.50, the back door is closed. 1.57, the back door is open again. 4.10 a.m., Marcy Harden leaves. 
7.45 a.m., Paula Seals leaves. At 8.30 a.m., Tom and Stacy Smith leave. The couple leaves minutes before Tamala is found and the police are called. According to reports, the couple has already showered and changed their clothes. 8.45 a.m., Madeline Lombardi. She's a friend of Jean Meyer's family. They call her Aunt Modi. She's been staying in the downstairs basement top apartment thing. According to her statement, Lombardi woke up to fix coffee. She was looking out into the backyard when she spotted Tamala laying face down. She said that she watched Tamala for a few minutes to see if she was going to move. And when she didn't, she became concerned. Lombardi went up to Jean and Jose's room. She knocked on the bedroom door, asked to speak to Jose. Lombardi, Jean, and Jose went downstairs to see what was going on. 8.59 a.m., Jose Barrera calls 911. At the request of the 911 operator, Jose touches Tamala to check for signs of life. She didn't have a pulse, and Jose made a comment that her body was already stiff. 9.07 a.m., police arrive at the scene. Corporal Miller with the Forsyth County Sheriff's Office was the first to arrive on scene. The back door is still open. So, now we're going to go through the GBI interviews. The first one we're going to talk about is Jean Meyer's interview with the GBI. So, Jean said that she had met Tamala in August or September of 2018. She said she spent every Saturday with Tamala because their kids played football together. Jean invited Tamala to a Halloween party the weekend before the birthday party. Jean said no one could remember who was at that Halloween party, but she knew those in attendance were drinking. This was the first time that Tamala had been to Jean's house. Jean said she did not know the following people in atten- that were in attendance. Oh, I'm sorry. Jean said she did know the following people were in attendance. Tamala, Diane, and Aunt Modi. These three were smoking pot, and Jean told them they could not do that because Jose was there, and he would get in trouble if he was around drugs. When asked about invitation to Jean's birthday party, she stated someone else handled the planning. Um, that was Stacy and Nicole. And evots had been sent out. Jean said she had no idea who would be there. Jean said, quote, just my house, lucky me. Jean said that she wanted to have a fun night with her friends, eating and drinking, and not having to worry about getting dressed up or having to be responsible and find a way home. Everyone could just hang out and then sleep over. Jean said she was not at her house during the day. Nicole and Stacy were at Jean's house uh, during the day setting up for the party. Jean said that night they played Cards Against Humanity 
and it seemed like everyone was having a really good time. She told investigators that Jen appeared to be the only one who was, quote, falling down drunk. Okay, so I've mentioned a lot of names. There's a lot of people involved. You can go to the blog post and it breaks down and tells you who is who, um, who all's in attendance. But I have realized that there's a lot of names jumbled up in there. So it might be a little hard to follow along with who's who. Jean said she opened the bottle of tequila that Tamla had brought as a gift for her. Smelled it and said it was super strong and she didn't like tequila. So she didn't drink any. Tom and Jose came upstairs to sing happy birthday, went back downstairs, then they came up again to play Cards Against Humanity. John said that, as far as she knew, they were drinking beer downstairs. John stated that Tamala was the only one who smoked and only saw her smoke when she was drinking. John said that Tamala, Stacy, and Madeline, who go also by Aunt Modi, were outside on the balcony smoking pot. Jean told Tamla, quote, I told you last weekend you can't do that because Jose is here and he is in law enforcement, end quote. Tamla responded with, I know, girl. Shortly after Tamla mentioned wanting to go home and that she felt like she would be okay to drive, she, uh, Stacy convinced her to stay. Then Tom was asking about sleeping arrangements and things like that. I have a question. Why, after Jean told her that I told you last weekend you couldn't do that because Jose is in law enforcement, why did Tamla all of a sudden want to go home? Did she say it a completely different way and she's not telling GBI? That she was, you know, nasty about it or whatever. Um, that's just a question I have. Why did Tamala want to go home? She had intended on spending the night. She brought an overnight bag. Um, but after that comment, she decided she wanted to try to drive home. Um, they said she was, you know, walking around fine and didn't seem drunk. But she did seem a little bit tipsy. She was laughing a lot and giggling. You know, that I know from experience, if... I drink more than I should. I'm very giggly and more social than normal. Um, and I shouldn't be drinking or shouldn't be driving. So I'm just curious as to why that triggered Tamala wanting to go home. Um, did they have an argument? You know, what did Jose chime in? What happened there? Jean said that Bridget was in the kitchen heating up gumbo and cleaning up. Tamala was eating gumbo and said when she got finished, she was going outside to smoke. Then she was going to bed. Jean mentioned how drunk Jen was and how crazy she was acting. So, according to Jean, Madeline, or Aunt Modi, knocked on the door a few times the next morning. When Jean answered and asked what was wrong, Aunt Modi said, quote, your friend from the islands, something is wrong, end quote. She's face down. 
She apparently couldn't remember Tamala's name, even though they hung out twice and smoked pot together twice. Um, Jean, Jen, and Madeline came out the door and stood on the deck. Jose was the only one who went into the yard. Jose did touch Tamala. He lifted her leg and said that she was already stiff. Tamala was face down, but her arms were down by her side, palms up. Jose said she had a mark on her wrist. So think about this. There's that little balcony. Apparently, she was supposed to fall off the balcony. Sorry if you heard a dog. My dog is... He doesn't like noises and somebody's mowing their yard. So, sorry about that. But she was apparently supposed to fall off of that balcony. And they're saying that it looked like she face planted. And that she was face down. But her arms were down by her side with her palms up. If you're falling from up high... You're not going to land like that. So, John said she had cameras at the house um, and the batteries were rechargeable, but the batteries were dead because Aunt Modi had misplaced the charger while cleaning a few months earlier. How convenient. Of all, you know, all nights. John said she was the only one who had access to the cameras. Jose knew the charger was missing and that the cameras were not charged. 